Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our live event. Yes, let's hear it. All right, so I'm going to take a minute or two to let everybody just kind of settle in. I'm going to get into the uh, situation here. It's going to take a couple seconds <coughs> for our, uh, here we go. Make sure our technology is working. We got a lot of moving parts here. So I want to make sure everything's working before we get too deeply into this. Uh, but I want to welcome everyone. Uh, we've got a, some good numbers already. Thank you for taking some time tonight uh, and uh, participating in our event. Um, I'm going to get into some of the details in about 30 seconds. So I appreciate everybody showing up. Let me just check one thing here. And uh, there we go. So here we go. So here is the plan. Here's the situation. We are launching our event. We are live. We are live streaming. If you are seeing this, you should be probably in the resource community. So I appreciate everybody's attendance there. We have six speakers tonight. We also have some presentations by our um, sponsors. This is all about giving parents giving students, whoever's on, um, information that they can use in order to maximize their positive experience with school this year. This is not anything negative. It's for, Everybody knows it's challenging. We don't have to belabor that point. Uh, but this is all about solutions. This is about actions that you can take to help you, to help your children, to help your family, to help your circumstance. And honestly, a lot of these things, uh, a lot of things that the speakers are going to talk about are things that are probably a little more heightened in the present time because of what's going on. But the things that are important no matter what, coping with stress, self-advocacy, um, dealing with just structures within the classes and working at home, things like this. So, yeah, we got some unusual circumstances and that happens. Um, but in the long run, I think everything you're going to hear tonight and beyond, and I guarantee you, every single presenter tonight could speak 50 times longer than the time we have allotted because there's so much to cover and, and everybody that I've been able to bring in here, I'm thankful for their participation, uh, really is just that knowledgeable in what they're doing and in the field. So uh, that's basically the plan. If you want to interact with this event, if you want to leave comments, uh, there is all you really need to do is just put them directly underneath the um, the uh, comments in the screen where you're watching this and then we can roll from there so we should be good uh, let me just check one thing and then we are going to be going for so we have like I said six speakers tonight our first speaker is Katie K. May she's from a company called Creative Healing you learn a lot about both of these. Uh, Katie is local to me in the Philadelphia area. So 
I'm going to bring her in. Katie, here you are. Say hello. Hi. Yes. Welcome. Hope you're feeling okay, Katie. A little mishap with her back, right? But I hope it's, she's looking strong. She's looking ready. Nothing's going to prevent her from doing what she's got to do here today. Um, Katie's topic is skills and supports in scary times for students. And I think that's, that's pretty appropriate, right? So I'm just going to turn it over to you, let you do your thing. And um, yeah, you got about 10, 12 minutes here and we will bring it back, take some questions, go from there. So Katie May, you are on. Thanks for leading off and I'll see you in a few minutes. Absolutely. I'm going to try to share my slides. If it doesn't work, I'm just going to talk and share. Um, so I'm hopeful that maybe somebody can confirm for me whether or not, no. Okay. So slides are not working, but I can absolutely send them out afterwards if that's something that you want to do. I'm going to just go ahead and from my slides. What I would ask of you as Oh, 
share my Hey, Kate, hang on one sec. I think we're having some issue with your audio. Your mic's not picking up correctly. Can you hear me? Yeah, now that's a lot better. Okay. I don't know if you adjusted something or not, but... I turned up my volume, but I didn't know that impacted the mic as well. I'm not sure, but it was kind of given every second and third word, so I want to make sure. I was hearing it probably better than most people, but um, you may want to backtrack a little bit and, you know... Should I start over? I can do that if you want me to. Um, yeah, just talk fast. I can talk fast. Okay. <laughs> that sounds better, though, so I appreciate it. Sorry for interrupting okay. you. No, I'm sorry. Okay, can I get a thumbs up or somebody tell me that they can hear me so I can start and actually give you this information? Somebody let me know. <laughs> I'm going to start, and I'm going to look for somebody letting me know they can actually hear me. Can you hear me? Okay, good. All right, great. So we're going to talk about skills and support in scary times. I'm going to talk fast to get us through this information. So when COVID hit, what we heard at our teen support center were students, kids and teens who wanted things to go back to normal. I just want to be in a routine. I want to do more. I want to sleep better. I want the fun parts of school back along with the parts that cause stress. That was one of the biggest and most salient things that I heard throughout my time in supporting teens was I have all the parts of school that suck, all of the work, all of the stress, and none of the payoff of seeing my friends, eating lunch, having those after school activities. I want to make sure I'm still on track for college. I have a first choice college. I've been working so hard to get to this point. Was it all for nothing? Is it all going away? And so those were the goals. That is what we were looking at when we started about six months ago. And what actually happened was kids weren't sleeping, lack of movement and activity coupled with almost every event taking place in the bedroom created a no sleep zone. There was no motivation, the lack of regular schedules and every day looking and feeling exactly the same led to no urgency to complete tasks. It was a mundane everyday looks exactly the same. 
Kids and teens were bored and overwhelmed. They valued connection, activity, creativity. They were now confined to one space and isolated. There was sadness and loneliness. And the best thing that I can compare this to, you know, this, this unknown and lack of routine and lack of connection. Let's say you have a kid who hates math. I myself don't really like math that much. And you said, okay, math is only 45 minutes. You can do anything for 45 minutes. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We can get through this. Um, you know, for most kids, they'll be able to grit and bear it at that point. But if there's no end in sight, kids become more hopeless. They become tearful. They become frustrated. And it becomes this um, accumulating experience where it's harder and harder to cope with what's in front of them. And so... I also want to acknowledge that for parents, this is a difficult process. The million emails you're getting a day from your school, your kid's school, you know, things are changing. Here's what to expect. Here's what to know. Here's how to log in. Here's where the internet is down. I know I'm dealing with it and I'm forwarding and deleting a lot. They've become my two best friends, my two best actions in this case. And so we as a team wanted to come up with some simple shifts to help parents and teens and school-age kids in this time. They've been tried and tested throughout this quarantine, and they seem to be working really well for our clients. So I'm going to list them out and then describe them in detail. Number one is to create a space for work to work. Number two is to move and breathe daily. Number three is to boost and batch productivity. I'm really excited to talk about that one. And number four is to accumulate positives and build fun into every day. So simple shifts, because so much has changed, we're not trying to complicate things. We're trying to make things work better for you to be effective, which is one of the values of our center. So create a space for for work to work. What I want you to know is that a separate space than the bedroom is ideal because it cues the brain for work rather than rest. We call this stimulus control. When you go upstairs and you get in your bed, it tells your brain it's time for you to go to sleep. But if you do everything from your bed, your brain never learns when it's actually time for sleep and it starts to get confused. The similarly working from your bed confuses your brain. It makes it harder to sleep. We're big on brain science. And so even if your, your kid does not have a separate room to do their work, a separate environment like a dining room table, doing work at a desk in their room or even on the floor next to their bed is better than doing everything from the bed. The other thing I would say is that this creates a pre predictable routine and it minimizes distraction. It's much easier to get work done when you're not in your bed with your phone next to you and your um, recreation, whatever, Netflix and all of those other things. And you have a, one space for work, one space for sleep and one space for recreation. That is ideal. Next, we talk about moving and breathing daily and with intention. So it is not new news that consistent daily movement is linked with more restful sleep and reduced anxiety and depression. What I like to teach as one of the first skills for clients that are coming into our center is the stop skill. And that is when you notice tension start to rise. You notice those thoughts that are saying, I can't do this. This is too much. Just forget it. Um, you notice the the frustration and the anxiety, that's when we want you to stop. And this is an acronym. The S stands for stop, literally freeze and don't move a muscle. The T stands for take a breath or take a step back. With some of my kids, they literally actually need to take a step back and we practice this in session. The O is for observe. Observe what's happening inside your body. What do you notice? Where's the tense, tension? Does it feel like your blood is boiling? Does it feel like you need you have urges to run or throw your books or get out of the room? And then the P is for proceed mindfully. 
What do you want to do? What kind of choice can you make so that you are effective in this situation and it's not making your life harder or worse in the long run? Now, this is a skill and a muscle to practice. It doesn't come easily that first time, but it is something that we found really helpful to increase the awareness for our, our clients in how they're um, noticing their emotions and then communicating them to their caregivers so they can get accurate support. Um, next is batching and boosting productivity. So I recommend having a start and end time for work, especially homework if um, our high school students have like papers and other things to do like that outside of the regular classroom setting. This helps with our procrastinating and perfectionistic teens who would be up all hours of the night doing work. So I'm a big fan of tracking and I really suggest tracking, using a log to track how much of my time that I'm quote unquote, doing work, I'm spending doing work versus procrastinating. And then I like to get a productivity percentage. If I'm spending 85% or more of my time actually doing work and getting things done, I'm in good order. If it's less than that, we need to revisit. Because what happens is we start to fall into this like illusion of doing work. We pretend that all of that frustration and all of that, oh, I need to do this. And, um, you know, going over and over in our head is doing work. And it's not. It's the illusion of work. And it's not helpful. So if we set strict start and end times and say, okay, I'm going to spend four to six doing work. And when six o'clock hits, I'm done, no matter how much I've gotten done. We consolidate our ability to work in smaller chunks, but we actually reinforce work completion and we have we get more productive over time. Because again, stimulus control, it cues our brain to start work when it's work time and when we're in our workplace. The one thing I would say is that we... Our parents need distress tolerance skills for this practice because it takes several weeks. And that might mean as parents managing our own anxiety about them not turning everything in or the consequences that may come from that with teachers. So it's really important that as kids or teens are changing their behaviors and patterns that our parents are getting support as well. I have a three minute warning, I see. Okay, finally, accumulating positives. It's really important when we're doing everything at home that we, we make time for fun, right? That we are having fun, going outside, going on bike rides, playing games, engaging in hobbies, learning a new instrument, mastering new recipes, seeing our friends in online chats or video games or whatever, you know, video chats, whatever it is. We want to make sure that life doesn't become about work and routine in a way that doesn't allow for us to enjoy our life at the same time. That's important for all of us, but especially for our kids, I like to highlight that. What won't work is pre-COVID standards, expecting that you're going to be as motivated, as happy, um, less anxious than you were before this time because it is a time when we're all experiencing stress and struggle. So acknowledging that is important. And the other thing that I like to stress does not work is parents accommodating and enabling avoidance. If you have a middle or high school kid who can email a teacher themselves, they need to do it themselves. You, you know, sending emails to, to tell their teacher they're too stressed out and they can't do it is actually accidentally reinforcing the message that they're not capable. So it's lowering their confidence in a time when it's really a great learning experience and life building experience for them to have those opportunities. Um, I know I am running out of time here. So let's see, let's wrap up. With skills and support, your kids and teens can recognize red flags of overwhelm and use skills effectively before meltdowns happen. They can communicate needs for support and confidently ask parents and caregivers for support so they can build a bridge to solutions together. And they can complete work without hours of procrastination and meltdowns and arguments that keep you both up for all hours of the night. I think with a solid routine and a flexible outlook that you and your kid can get through this together and some 
sometimes that means getting outside support because you're too close emotionally to the situation and in the relationship sometimes to solve all the problems without some kind of um, mediation or skills or structure that helps you both put the right motions into place. So I would welcome any questions um, that you have in this time, or I'm happy to keep sharing. Kate, excellent. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, get you to stop yet. I do want to recognize a couple things. A, you you threw a ton of of information, a ton of value out there in, in like eight minutes and twenty one seconds. <laughs> almost literally um so what, what we can do is anybody who does want to comment and ask a question please do i also want to take some time and thank you and recognize what you're doing with your your business service so let's talk about that a little bit tell us what's your business called who do you serve what's your primary deliverable um maybe how people could get a hold of you uh if they want to learn more yeah, so Creative Healing is my teen support center. I have 14 therapists that work with me. We specialize in the adolescent population. The adolescent brain is 12 to 24. And so we see teens with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, OCD, trauma, and support the LGBTQ community. Um, we do with, with both group and individual services because teens you know, gravitate towards each other in group and they need that individual one-on-one -on -one support. And we have three locations, Flower Town is our main location and satellite offices in King of Prussia and Center City, Philadelphia. The best way to get in touch is our website, creativehealingphilly.com. Uh, contact forum on every page and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Is there any, um particular just something you're seeing you know now that school started even though it may only been a few days for people but is there a spike in anything or maybe something that in the last week as we've built up to this you're, you're you've seen particularly uh commonly or something i'm not sure if the grammar was correct there but you get yeah. my point so the biggest thing that we're seeing is anxiety in terms of the people reaching out to us um people that are are searching for our um, services, it's anxiety, it's the unknown. The unknown creates this overwhelming anxiety of how do I do this, what's in my control, what's not in my control. And so helping our kids and teens figure out exactly that. What can you control? How can you cope with this? How bad do you actually think it's going to be? And if it is that bad, what will you do to handle it so you don't make choices that make the situation worse? One of the biggest things that we see is um, behaviors that come from emotions to try and make those emotions go away, whether they're impulsive or self-destructive, and that's kind of our specialty area. Excellent. Um, anything else you want to share? Anything you didn't get to in your talk or anything uh, just, uh, uh, you know, out there? I mean, I, I, you know, it's always tough being the first speaker, so I appreciate you stepping up and, and doing that. But, um, you know, some of the things you said really resonated with me because I see this a lot in my own caseload, especially yeah. the need for structure, especially for the need to have coping mechanisms uh, is, is really valuable. It's a learned yeah. skill. You're not going to learn it overnight, but to know there there's a source for them and you you can use them is, is really powerful. So uh, that stop you want to talk about just go through that stop thing really quickly one more time because I think that would really help a lot of people. Sure. Yeah, I sped through everything, and I think my biggest takeaway, and I'll say this with the stop skill, is recognizing that it's important to feel your emotions and that the simple skills are usually what works. So with stop, we're saying stop when you notice those red flags and one of the things i would encourage is you and your kid knowing together what are those red flags is it that you notice them breathing a certain way is it that they're grunting or throwing things you want to know those red flags of risk for when behaviors start to escalate and that's when you both stop both of you not just your kid you as well stop 
take a step back and take a breath. So our breath is one of our greatest tools that we carry with us at all times and we want to use it. And it's important actually to breathe a certain way. We want to breathe in through our nose and into our belly. Oftentimes when we're anxious or frustrated, we do those like shoulder breaths that are hyperventilating and that increases our level of anxiety. So we don't want to do that. We want to take a deep breath in, feel it in our belly, breathe out. And then we want to observe what is happening in my body. Where do I notice things in my body? Is there tension in my chest? Is my blood boiling? Do I want to throw my book across the room? As a parent, what are you noticing? Do you want to criticize? Do you want to rush your kid through a task? Do you want them to get it done? Are you feeling frustrated? And so observing what's happening inside you, observing what's happening with the person in front of you. As a parent, noticing what your kid is doing, what their facial expressions are. And then you want to proceed mindfully. And sometimes that means not trying to problem solve when people's emotions are at an eight instead of like a five or a six and stepping away until you're ready to, until you're calm enough and centered enough to come back and approach something with um, with a problem solving mind and not with an emotional mind. Um, and sometimes that means talking together, brainstorming and coming up with the best solution. But proceeding mindfully really means being aware of what's going to be most effective to get you towards your goals. And it might not mean the quickest way to get to your goals. And I know for us as parents, sometimes you want things done a certain way or at a certain time, but but we also want our kids to learn the lessons for how to cope with our emotions in the process. So I like to say like an A on a paper means nothing if your kid gets frustrated and can't handle themselves, right? So we wanna have emotional intelligence as much as our academic intelligence. Awesome. Katie, I really wanna thank you Unfortunately, yeah. we are out of time. We may bring everybody back, all the speakers back for a panel later. Uh, drop comments in there. You can monitor them and answer them. you got a couple of good questions coming up. I do want to bring in one of our sponsors here. Hello, Ron. Hi, Steve. How are you tonight? So, I'm doing great. Uh, let's just say goodbye to Kate. Kate, thanks again. Bye. Uh, take a look at the stream because people are asking questions in there if you want to just uh, talk about that a little by chat or take it offline, whatever works the best for you. So Ron Shapiro, thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Thank How you are you? Me. Yeah. I, I want to introduce Ron. Ron has a company called uh, Education by Entertainment. Ron is one of the generous sponsors of tonight's event. Uh, Ron, tell us, tell us about what you do. You want to take somebody through a little exercise here of sort of the things that you can deliver. So I'm delighted that Katie was talking about the stop technique. Now let me bring in an exercise that's yeah. kind of related to that. Go what I'd like it. everybody to do is to please spell spot really fast five times. S-P-O-T, 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 S-P-O-T. Now, tell me, would you do at a green light? Okay, how many of you said stop? I bet more than one person said stop here. And the answer, of course, as you know, is go. At least I think it's go at a green light. Okay, two points to mention here. Point number one, if people had uh, actually looked through the entire discussion group and the resource community would have found that I presented this exercise a few weeks ago. Hint, do your reading first. Encourage your kids to do their reading first. But second and more related perhaps is notice how we prime ourselves. And when we're going too fast, we're likely to come up with the wrong answer. So in addition to uh, allowing time limits and so forth, take enough time to do what you're doing. Now that you've caught on to that, I want to give you a second chance, everyone. Spell roast fast five times. R-O-A-S-T, 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 R-O-A-S-T. Now tell me what you put into a toaster. If you said toast, I'm not coming to your house. It'll smell burnt. Okay, that's two of our 30 activities that we do in our education by entertainment uh, 
programs. Typically, we'll have a large audience, bring people real close together, have lots of fun. Now, in a pandemic, we don't do that, obviously. But there is something we can do. We can do these activities with our own families. So what I'm offering today to members of this community is the opportunity to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. I will go over up to 30 of our activities, depending what's right for you, and uh, leave you prepared to lead them. If you want me to actually sit in and you know you have me in the ear by uh, cueing you in as to what to do as you lead the activities, that's great. And then I'm hoping to join you again uh, in a year from now. Hopefully, uh, Steve and I will go on a tour of all the schools in the Philadelphia area and uh, get to visit your schools. But for the immediate time, check out my temporary website, which is educationalgames.fun. I explain the consultancy. One other point before I go, and that is this is a fee-for-service basis, but I don't want a single person to not call me if money's a little tight, you know, due to the pandemic, all those other issues. I will be glad to offer a very generous financial aid package so anyone who is interested in this consultancy can have it. I don't know, maybe I'll ask you to send me some photos of you doing the activities. Take care, everybody. I've enjoyed Katie's talk and I look forward to the others and look forward to working with you. Please keep in touch with me, Ron Shapiro. Thanks, Steve. Ron, thank you again, not only for your information you provided, but for your sponsorship of the event. And I look forward to working with you down the road even more. So uh, we're good. We're good. Thanks again, Ron. Good night. Education by Entertainment. And uh, Ron, thank you very much. All right, folks. Um, appreciate everybody's patience, everybody's attention. It's a long day, uh, but I am going to actually give you a quick presentation on something I find is very important. Let me just queue up my slides here. Uh, this is, uh, I'm a list guy. I talk about lists a lot. So these are just two lists I'm going to give you. They're both pretty short. They're both very concise. But they're things I have found in 30 years of education, in tutoring and, and all this that, that are just big. They're simple, but they're big. So there's three C's in success, even though it only has two in the dictionary, and in five critical structures that you're going to want to have, especially in your home environment. So that's me. So here's the three C's of success. Number one, consistency. Two, commitment. And three, community. So I'm going to break these down a little bit. Consistency is always the key to success. It just always is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're in sports, if you're in playing music, uh, if you're trying to develop any sort of skill. So to have an academic consistency is really, really important. And what that it works on the number of levels. Some of them are just structural. Are you doing your homework about the same time every day? Are you consistently handing your work in? Is your quality of work consistent? So the consistency can work on multiple levels, depending on how you want to judge it. But the point is, and I think no one disagrees with this, consistency is critical to long-term and even short-term success. Number two is commitment. You have to commit to processes. You got to commit to a process. You can't do something for a week. And if it goes bad one day or two days, throw it out and try something new. You get into this never ending cycle of constantly doing something different, doing something different and never getting any results at all. So you got to get a system that works whether you develop it yourself or you develop it with a professional and you got to use it consistently and commit to it and you'll get the long-term results. The third thing is community. 
And this, I think, I talk about these three all the time. And usually the first two are kind of the stars, so to speak. But I think community has really gotten up to at least equal standing or stronger standing in the last three months, four or five months, and particularly in the last four or five weeks. And I'm talking specifically to how everybody comes together when you have this need for it. You know, there's these pods forming and people supporting each other and sharing resources. And I find it to be very, very positive and very encouraging. I know the reality is not everybody's happy about virtual school. Let's accept that. But it's a solution that solves some problems, and it's, it's a compromise of many things. But there's been a huge amount of support for each other in the community, and that's also part of the spirit of this event. When I first started planning this event, it wasn't to be a, a just, yeah, what do you do with COVID sort of thing. This is not about a reaction to COVID. I'm, I'm thinking many of the things in this presentation, and I think we could agree a lot of things Kate shared, are things that are universally useful. And, and working within a community is one of them. Um, I'm also going to talk about, so those are my three C's of success. Commitment, consistency, community. There's also, and I give this talk all the time, and I could spend an hour talking about this, but there are five fundamental structures that you need to have in a home and in a school environment or any combination thereof in order to have success. Now, let me make something clear. Yes, many people are in a virtual circumstance right now and they're dealing with situations that are probably less than optimal in some cases. But that doesn't mean there was never homework or there was never work that had to be done at home. Children went to school, 8 to 3.30, whatever, came home and they still have four or six hours that they need to work at home. So even when things normalize and return back to whatever we're going to call normal, these five structures are still going to be very important although I think they're acutely important right at this moment. So we have a physical structure. Physical structure, everything has to be in place. So I have a picture of a hurricane, because it's the same thing. If everything isn't where it's supposed to be, the the warm air going the one way, the cold air going the other way, the eye and all this stuff, it's it's kind of a, a, a miracle of nature in a sense. But in the school sense, your physical structure has to be in place. It's simple things. Your desk, your lighting, your hardware, your computer, having a pencil, having access, having the things that you need all in one place. Then you've got the environmental things of your structure, the sound, the light, making sure it's, it's a good functional workspace. I've seen kids, because I've done a ton of virtual tutoring in the last six months, I've, always, I've done it for many years anyway. They're sitting on their bed you know, with pillows behind them, and, you know, whatever. Physical structure, very important. Number two, temporal structure, time structure, managing your time. And this, when I work with students, is, one, is probably the biggest thing that we adjust, especially in the beginning, is structuring your time to be efficient and to be working along with a plan. You know, you don't want to spend 50 minutes on something that should take you 15. So there's a lot of structure that can happen. Planning your day out, planning your night out, planning your homework out, planning your virtual day out, planning your homeschooling day out to get the most structure from it. The third one, sorry, is academic structure. Now, often, or expectantly, the academic structure is coming from the school, from the teacher, from the instructor. Sometimes in a virtual or a hybrid or a homeschooling situation, you have to create some of that structure on your own. But the point is, it's what drives the work you're actually doing. So your physical structure is where you do it, having the place 
to do it effectively. The time structure is doing it efficiently. Then the academic is the actual work you have to get done. Some of this is short-term. Things that have to be done by tomorrow, the next day, your homework for the next day. Some of it's long-term. We have a quiz next week, test next week, things like this. Fourth one is accountability. Now, normally speaking, you got, as a student, two people you're accountable. Well, two entities you're accountable to, your parents and your teachers. And that's typically going to always be the case. But I always suggest to kids, I always suggest to my students when I work with them, is you also want to be accountable to yourself. Are you doing the best work you can? Everybody has an off day, sure. But long term, over time, are you really putting your best work out there? Are you accountable to yourself? So you got your parents always going to be your back about it. Teachers are going to grade you regardless of what you do. But are you accountable to yourself as well? And then the last structure is your support structure. And I always tell this, which is you don't want to be looking for the number for the firehouse when you got a fire. You want to plan ahead. You want to know if you need help with something, where are you going to go? Are you going to reach out to a teacher? Are you going to reach out to a friend? Are you going to reach out to a professional like a tutor or a, a psychologist? Where are you going to go if you need help? You don't want to be reactive. You want to be proactive. So you may not need it, but you want to have a plan if you're going to have to go for some support, what that's going to be. So you have it lined up. You've already vetted it. You feel good about it. If you need it, then you can move into that direction. So we've got the five structures, physical, time, academic, accountability, and support. And then part of what I do is I have an online community like the one we're broadcasting into that provides a lot of this, all these five things. Uh, Steve Green here. I'm trying to keep my talk short and to the point. This is how you could get a hold of me. A lot of this is going to be in the follow-up. Let me jump out of here and go back into the studio. So let me just see if there's any questions really quickly. I'm going to try to uh, kind of just keep myself kind of right in my own lane and, and pretty quick because we got so much to get to tonight. But in summary, three C's, five structures, just putting those eight things in place can, can really create a positive, forward-moving, productive academic environment. It's, it's independent of whether you're virtual, whether you're hybrid, whether you're homeschooled, whether you're in school, because some of that's always going to happen in the home environment no matter what. So that is my message. I just want to take a quick look, see if there's any questions. Otherwise, I'm going to bring in another one of the sponsors I am very, very appreciative of. So, uh, Ken, are you ready for action? There he is. Ken Myers, welcome. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm doing great. So I'm I done. I'm, I can relax now. I got my you answered my question, so I guess you can hear me okay. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm, we're, audio is fine now. We have glitch, but everything's right. cool. You know, this is live. It's just like school. You know, sometimes it doesn't work, exactly. but we're doing the best we can. So, Ken is a, a big sponsor of this event. I really appreciate that. One of the reasons we can put this on at no cost to everybody is because of the sponsorship. It's it's not cheap to put on events like this. So, Ken, uh, I'm going to give you the stage here. Apex Leadership, fantastic company, just like Ron's. Tell us what you do, who you serve, and the value that you provide. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for allowing me to be a sponsor. Um, Katie was great. Um, loved your message. Honestly, your message was great, you know, with my kids at home 
and um, you know the virtual learning and things. I got a sixth and a tenth grader, so you know some of those, you know those five criteria that you talked about is 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 it was good for me to think about too, and 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 you know talk to them about. And in full disclosure, I did say stop and toast. So Ron, I might need a little help from you as well. <laughs> um, but uh, so Apex, let me tell you a little bit about Apex Leadership Company. Um, we are we are a leadership company. Um, our goal is to build leaders in our youth. So we work with elementary schools and middle schools, and we teach a leadership program um, through uh, a, a um, curriculum that is, is focused and centered around social and emotional learning and PBIS, which is your positive behavior and intervention solutions. And um, it's, it's really, you know, it's been a lot of fun. We're, we're relatively new to the area. Uh, Currently, we're, we're working in schools in Upper Dublin, in uh, Central Bucks, Wincote. We'll be working in Wissahickon uh, and Pensbury School Districts as well. And um, it, it, the, the reason I got into the business was because of the opportunity to impact kids. And uh, it's, really been, it's really been, frankly, amazing to see the kind of impact that we've had at the schools we've served. Um, and while we're teaching leadership and we're promoting fitness, we also um, uh, promote a fundraiser for the schools. So we're actually helping schools raise money while we promote leadership and and fitness within the school. Um, it's been it's been amazing. Honestly, the 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 funds that we raise have been really kind of crazy. We've had schools that have netted over thirty, over forty thousand dollars with us. Um, we've had schools that have netted fifteen or sixteen or seventeen thousand with us when normally their major fundraisers are bringing in three to five thousand for them. So it's really effective from a fundraising perspective. We take a lot of the work and the stress off of the school and the PTOs and the PTOs or PTAs and home and school associations. Uh, they, you know, you got a lot of great parents that put a lot of time and effort into their schools, and and this is an opportunity for them to actually sit back, enjoy a fundraiser without going crazy and having to do a ton of work. Um, but really, the, the impact is with the kids and the culture that we bring. Uh, this year, our our our, um, our theme is mindfulness, or I'm sorry, our theme is mighty. And uh, each letter has an acronym that we we teach to the kids. Uh, we talk about mindfulness this year. We talk about integrity. We talk about grit. If I think if there's any year, 2020 is the year that we need grit. Um, we talk about being a hero um, through um, service to others. We talk about thinking ahead, having a plan, like Steve, you were talking about having a plan. Um, and we talk about, um, you know, with kids about being part of a team and kind of stepping up and, and taking action to put these leadership lessons into practice in their daily lives and that they're not too young to be a leader. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, we're doing some great things with schools and uh, we'd love to we'd love to partner with more schools as well. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I can just tell you, it, the, the fundraising is fabulous because you're often tripling or even quadrupling what people are doing selling whatever, gift cards or, you know, the something. But really, the leadership side and the, the development of the character development is, is really a priceless thing. So I, I thank I you for what you do, I had a principal tell us after our program that um, the, the, the home school was, was wondering whether they should bring us back because, frankly, they raised so much money. They covered their budget for almost two years. And the principal said to them, he said, listen, you need to bring them back because the leadership lessons that they taught really hit home with the kids that we needed them to hit home with. And to me, that was the best thing he could have ever said. And, and it's why I do what I do. I get it. Those of us in education and serving, yeah. you know, everybody who serves people, it, it's that, you know, you can't buy that feeling. Mm -hmm. um, just really, really quickly, who would you want to be connected to? Like, who is your 
uh, decision maker point person if you were going to reach out? PTO chairperson? Yeah, PTO, uh, the, the folks, the parents on the PTO boards, the moms and dads are on those, the home and school associations. Those are really the ones that, that tend to make the decisions about the fundraising events. And, and that's generally how they look at this as a fundraiser, but it's really so much more than that. But the principals as well, because we literally go into the school for two weeks while we're interacting with the kids and we're teaching these lessons. So the principal certainly needs to be on board and understand that we're coming in to the school and uh, we're on campus for two weeks. So, you know, the parent organizations and the principals are really the, the two main folks we need to talk to. All right, Ken, again, Apex Leadership, thank you for your sponsorship. Thank you for your contribution to the community. Hang around. We're gonna bring in uh, our next speaker here. Hello, Sarah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. You got it. We'll see you soon. Sarah, hello. Hello. You ready for action? You ready to rumble? Uh, yes. Sarah has an interesting topic here, which is, let me get it, make sure I say it exactly right. Positive parent involvement in post-COVID educational settings. Yes. Did you get that right? Yeah, you got it. I'm going to flash it up in the bug for you in a second. Sarah, time's yours. Go get them. Looking forward to hearing your presentation. Okay. I'm going to share my screen here. It's not coming up. Try that again. There we go. All right. So I am Sarah Lorraine. I'm a school psychologist. I've been working um, supporting families and students in education since 2004. And we have long known that um, parent engagement in education leads to positive outcomes for students. We know that um, and the research supports it. And we just sort of know that intuitively. But what does that look like now in post-COVID um, educational settings? Everything is different. So what do we need to do um, to have that positive parent engagement? Um, to help support outcomes. So that's kind of what we're gonna, what I'm gonna try to talk about a little bit and give you some tips and strategies for that. So before COVID, we would say things like children need a schedule and consistent routines. And we knew that that was helpful, was part of supporting students' um, education. And I saw this, um, uh, I think it's a tweet. My daughter woke up at 11.30 a.m. and the first words out of her mouth were, what day is it? And to be honest, I have no clue. So we are a far cry from where we used to be um, in terms of uh, if this, if we were told, that, you know, however long ago that this was a thing that would happen and we would not know what day it is and our children would wake up at, at, at 11.30 and not know what day it is, we wouldn't believe that to be true. Um, so what do we do? Uh, and what I think is important is uh, this is sort of a temporary, not temporary situation. And we need to take the long view and we need to put this school year in perspective. Um, and I like the phrase, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we need a plan for that. And we need to think about it in, um, sort of more globally. So the school, this school year in perspective, ask yourself these questions. What do you want for your child in the long term? And make sure what you're doing now is not just in response to what's going on now, but it's it meets that larger goal of what you want for your child in the long term. Um, and what's the relationship between the current school year and the larger context of your child's academic and personal development? So that's going to vary depending on your child's age. Um, but think about what 
you know, first graders need to learn or what 12th graders need um, and think about what they need in this current school year in relationship to the, the long view. Um, and also think about this experience. This is a very unique experience and while highly unpleasant um, and in some ways very traumatic, um, what do you want your child to gain or learn from this experience? Um, how can we facilitate that? And we wanna think about that when we think about how to be involved in our child's education this year. Um, and think of this um, sort of phrase, consider what you want for your child, not just what you don't want or what you're worried they will miss. Um, and where I sort of wanna start, I'm not gonna go into it, but you might remember Maslow from Intro to Psych or something like that. And we want to start at the beginning we know that students need their basic needs met before they can learn. And that top piece of self-actualization is something that students, that we all do, and it's an ongoing process. But if you read the definition, the desire to use your talents and abilities to reach your full potential, that's what learning is. And so we need all of those other things in order to get to the place of learning. Um, so when you want to figure out what your child needs, look at that Think of the, the, that hierarchy. Think, are my child's basic needs met, including adequate sleep? Is my child safe, healthy, and well cared for? And maybe they are, but maybe they don't feel that way. Do they feel safe, loved, and well cared for? Um, do they feel connected to and supported by other people? Um, and does your child have self-efficacy? Do they feel confident in their ability to succeed? Children need that. They that they just need that in general um, for happy, healthy lives. Um, and so we want to start there and work our way up and make sure we're addressing those things. And then after that, what do all children need in order to learn? So we talk about the learning brain, and the brain is available for student for learning when students feel calm, they feel curious, they feel safe both physically and emotionally, when they feel valued and cared for, when they feel confident in their ability and comfortable with ambiguity. So learning requires. Um, ambiguity requires being comfortable with what you don't know um, and curiosity there, and that you have to be comfortable with making mistakes. So if students don't feel safe, if they feel nervous, um, they're not going to, their brains aren't available for learning. Um, so you want to ask um, if those are things that um, your child has. Do they, do they feel, what are their, how are they doing right now? How are they feeling? What are their coping strategies right now? Um, do they feel calm and physically safe at school? Um, do they feel connected? Are they curious and excited about learning? Um, and they do they have enough support, consistency, and predictability to feel comfortable with the ambiguity of learning? It's a little bit what Steve was talking about um, in terms of the, that consistency. It's very important. They need that in order to learn. So once you sort of figure out like where your holes are and what you might want, um, where your child might need some support, um, what you can do is one of the things, especially right now, is to focus more on process rather than product. Come up with like a, you know, like a family mantra or a school mantra, like always do the best you can and take care of yourself. Because if you're doing that, you will get the product you want. Um, but we want to hold um, high expectations for those for good learning and study strategies rather than the completed work, especially now when students can just rush through their online work um, and be done. And if that's the expectation, um, we're not helping to build good learning and study habits. We want students to stay engaged. We want them to keep their love of learning. Um, and so we want to focus more on the process rather, rather than the product. We need to be flexible with our expectations. Um, include your child in setting goals, guidelines, and setting those expectations. What does it mean um, to have good learning and study strategies? What does that look like? Um, 
and be open to changes in the setting and the schedule and make the adjustments as needed. There's everything has changed. Um, and you may set up a good learning schedule or learning um, uh, place for learning and it just doesn't work. Make sure that you can, that you're open to change, you're flexible um, and create opportunities for self-monitoring um, and visual representations of success. So um, sort of checklists or um, reaching towards a goal where they can sort of cross something off or monitor. We really need, with a lot of the virtual um, settings, we really need to create environments where students are um, learning more independence. And we wanna facilitate that as parents to get to those outcomes. Um, we want to uh, increase their independence in, in learning and education. Um, create the best space possible for virtual learning at home. And there's lots of things that you're, you hear that are kind of overwhelming, like how do I even do this? And again, you wanna take the long view, you wanna back up a little bit and look at the basics. Um, so you wanna make school a sort of a special place. You want it to be um, like decorated somehow or put something special there so students, it sort of designates that space and it creates good boundaries between home and school. Um, and try to find a way to open and close the space. I have a little picture here of my, um, homeschool environment, which looks different now. But if you see the table there, um, that's sort of around a table, we open and close it for the school day. Um, and then we can put everything away um, and, and sort of hide it. But that is the, um, that's our school table. And when it's open, we only do school there. Um, in terms of what you can do to support your child in virtual learning at home, make sure that someone's available to pr provide support when needed, but try to establish guidelines um, for when and how your child will ask for help, um, when they can take breaks, when they can use the bathroom, et cetera. A visual timer can be helpful for younger students. Um, for older students, you know, having someone available to provide support when needed is gonna look very different depending on the age of your child. Um, try to have someone check in on them during the school day. They don't have that support at school where there's a teacher or a teacher's aide to come in and, and check on them. So that's something that we can do in terms of parent engagement, have someone check in on them, but make sure that when you're checking on them, you're not redirecting them, you're not reminding them. If something's going awry, it's because they need something. And so we wanna offer encouragement and we wanna ask how they're feeling and what they need. Um, and that way we open those lines of communication to provide positive support um, and help get to those outcomes. Um, at the end of the school day, try to debrief with your child at the end of the day, focus on what they learned, what they enjoyed. We want to keep that engagement in learning. Um, we want to keep them um, happy, comfortable, curious. Um, ask them what they might need to make things go better the next day. That's that flexibility. Keep that in mind. Um, make a plan for homework and as asynchronous assignments so they kind of um, keep that in check. And make sure your child gets outside and has plenty of green free downtime down every day. That's really important um, in terms of making sure that we maintain positive engagement with learning um, and sort of have that clear boundary where they disconnect, they get outside, they have some non-screen time every day. Um, connect with your teacher regularly, create open lines of communication. Um, you really are sort of like the teacher's aide right now um, in a lot of ways. And so you want to um, sort of lean into that a little bit and work to establish collaborative relationship, ask specific questions about what you can do to help support learning at home, as well as supporting that independence. It's a balance, but we wanna lean into it a little bit um, and make sure that it's it's a collaborative effort and your child feels supported and that you are there for them in um, the, during the school day. Um, 
You want to model some self-advocacy, um, making modifications and adjustments when needed. Show them how to do that. Show them how to ask for help or inquire with the teacher. Um, and then other ways that you can sort of support learning is check. We have such a unique opportunity to kind of listen in or check in and, and have more access to what your child is learning in school. And so find ways that you can expand on that. Talk to them about it. Um, you know, plan a field trip or an activity, um, watch a movie about something. And that way um, it sort of expands their learning and it and it connects you to school um, in, in positive and authentic ways. Um, so briefly, I just want to talk a little bit about special considerations, special education. So I've heard a lot where parents are saying like, oh, special education, it's like not a thing anymore. And that is absolutely not true. It might look different, but it is absolutely still required. Schools are still required to provide the special instruction services and accommodations that your child needs to make meaningful academic progress. They have to do that. Um, they're required to provide the supports that your child needs in all settings, including at home in virtual settings. Um, the LRE um, is often what's referred to in special education. It's the least restrictive environment. And right now that's at home um, for, for some for some of it. And when you're when you're thinking about that home environment, what do they need? Um, anything you, you might have to like go out to the store and buy in order to accommodate your child's um, special education needs is something the school should be providing. Um, schools are still required to complete um, IEP meetings. Um, complete and hold IEP meetings, update services and complete reevaluations. So ask for them if they're not if they're not there. Um, if you have an IEP or a 504 plan, um, review that and make sure it's up to date and current. Look at what's called the SDIs, the specially designed instruction. It's usually at the end of your IEP and make sure that that plan includes supports that are relevant for the current educational setting. And you may have like um, the IEP may cover different um, uh, settings and have different supports for different settings. And um, if you have a hybrid setting, that's a great thing to do. If you have a year-round IEP and you might go back to the in-person setting, you, you don't want to have to start all over again with what do they need now. Um, think about it in advance, put it in the IEP, and if they're in-person, that's what they would get. Um, and remember, you're a required member of the IEP team. You can call meetings anytime um, and talk about whatever it is that you need. Um, if you don't have a child with special education services now, but you were concerned before things closed or you are concerned now, um, schools are still required to find and identify students who are struggling to access the curriculum. And um, they need to provide interventions, monitor progress, and conduct initial evaluations. They are still obligated to do that. So if you are concerned about your child's learning, their rate of progress, their ability to access the curriculum in any of the settings at home or in hybrid or in person, um, Request a meeting with the classroom teacher first. Um, ask about the school's multi-tiered system of supports. It's often called MTSS or RTI, the response to intervention. And that's where they have um, just a little, it's before special education services, but they offer additional supports, uh, interventions, and monitoring for students who are struggling. Um, and then after that, if, if that is insufficient to address the needs, um, the referral for special education evaluation is the sort of the next move to the process. If you're ultimately concerned, just submit a formal request in writing um, for a special education evaluation um, and they're still obligated to provide those services. Um, All right. Uh, Sarah, I wanna flash one question. We got up here very quickly, if you could address this. Yeah. And then we are up on time, so. This is a question from one of our uh, oh, uh, sure. I, audience or whatever. 
So, so, so they're saying their daughter is wandering off and getting snacks while teacher's teaching. Yes. Not sure if this is an issue. Uh, what, what are your thoughts here? So the thing to do is to try at, to the, the, the best that you can to figure out how to involve your child. That's the first thing to do. So like when you're setting up the space, when you're deciding where to be in, in um, your house, uh, you're logging into school, you want to try to create as much excitement as possible. Um, and how cool is this? We get to be at home. So we, so we get to go up and get snacks and like talk through um, the reasons why that's great. And the reasons it could be an obstacle. So like what could happen if we get up and get snacks too much? Like, mm. and so they, the child sort of understands and like, and ask them like, how can we, um, what are some guidelines? Like what, what should our expectations? We have your child come up with those for, for um, herself. Um, and also ask her like, why are you getting up and getting a snack? Are you bored? There could be something going on. My, you know, I'm tired. I'm sick of sitting here. Um, the teacher keeps telling me to sit up straight. Like there could, you want to ask where, what the need is. Like the idea that all behavior is meaningful. So um, it's telling you something. It's communicative. So ask about it and see what's been going on. I, I, um, I, I think it begs the question. I'd be interested in your opinion on this. Is obviously the environment at home is not the same as sitting in a classroom. Like sitting in a classroom, a child right. isn't going to get up and go get a snack, presumably. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a line, you know, how much do we enable or let kids kind of be kids, right? right? And how much do we want to compel them to be like they would be in school, particularly a child who has some kind of accommodation, maybe has a tension issue or, you know, their, you know, inability to sit still. But you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, I had mentioned like we need to change our expectations. We want to talk about process, not product. And I think that it's very confusing for students, for children to say, oh, we're not going to school. We're going to have school at home. But you have to pretend that you're in school. Um, it doesn't make sense. Right. And so it's like, well, I'm supposed to pretend I'm at school like I'm not at school. Um, everything is different. Why is everyone pretending that you can just like move school to home? So we need to acknowledge the kids, um, our kids, how they feel. Um, what they feel is fair and unfair about this. Some of the um, resistance or pushback might be a sense of control. Like we all are feeling a little claustrophobic um, and blurred boundary lines of being working at home and, and everything else. And so our kids uh, might feel that way too. And so the idea of creating those boundaries, um, some of the things you were talking about with consistency, you want to have that dialogue with your students. And again, looking at the long game, like, do we care mm -hmm. if she's getting snacks? No, we care that she wants to learn, right? Like, keep that in mind that what we don't want is to sort of squash any love of learning um, or sort of ruin what's really cool about being able to go to school in like your pajama bottoms, right? Because no one's going to see that. Like, <laughs> Except on pajama are, day. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so, like, that we want to embrace what's kind of cool about it or what's unique mm -hmm. about it um, and things we can kind of get away with. And we want to be like, well, no, we're not going to bring toys to school. I know they're like right there or or the snacks or the whatever. Um, no, we're not going to like look at Facebook while we're also learning because that's not learning. Like going to school in our pajamas is like a cool thing we can do because we're at home where we just like put a shirt on and it just looks like we're, we're, we got dressed. Um, but <laughs> that's not interfering with our learning. So like trying to to 
look at it, the guidelines that way and have the child kind of come up with like do's and don'ts or, um, and do's and don'ts is probably also not a great way to talk about it, but like, um, conducive to learning, not conducive to learning. I I think, I think it's, it's a guideline, you know, we're setting a standard, right? Like in the same way, you know, you got people who are working at home in their bathrobes and, you know, a tie and a shirt and no pants or whatever's going on. Um, all right, Sarah. Excellent, excellent information. I, like everybody else, I'm I'm sure you could have, you know, thrown Forever. another hour and a half worth of stuff. I put in a couple I'm other things our, uh, that I wanted to talk about if I had a few minutes. But the only thing I want to say is just about that safety right. piece, okay. making kids feel safe. Make sure that when they ask questions about COVID, about safety, about going to school and being safe, that you answer them honestly and you give them what tools they need to keep themselves safe. If you are honest, if you give them all the information, answer the questions they have as developmentally appropriate so that when they do go to school, no, it's not safe, but here's how you can be safe. Here's how you can keep yourself safe. Um, mm-hmm. Or it is safe and this is why it's safe. This is how it's safe. These are um, uh, these are the risks, but this is how it's safe so that they really know and they can feel safe because that safety is a big deal and something that we're struggling with um, outside of the home setting. Yeah, it's a big communication thing. I mean, that there are opportunities in this craziness right. uh, to bond with kids to communi- establish communication channels. So it's not going to just doesn't all have to be negative. All right, Sarah Luane, thank, thank you, you very much. We've got our next speaker on deck, and I uh, want to bring her in. Hi, Samantha. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I can. <laughs> You're good. Wonderful. So, uh, Samantha coming all the way from Long Island. That's right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we it's good. So, uh, listen, I'm just going to let you go. Uh, sure. Let me Let me get your uh, kind of bio on here. And I, I want to acknowledge Samantha is not only a, a talented speaker with some great info, also one of our sponsors of our event. So thank you for that. We'll get into that a little bit towards the end. So, where's my little timer? You ready to rumble? I am. All right. If you, listen, uh, folks, if you have questions, just put them in the comments underneath. Try to flash some up. We'll get them answered if you can. But Samantha, you are on. Great. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for hosting this. This is such a, a great opportunity for people to get together, um, especially to talk about kind of this back to school and, and this virtual concept. Um, you know, it's so interesting because I don't think, I think it's pretty unprecedented what we're going through in education right now. I've been in the field of education for my whole career. And this is really the first time that we've ever had to endure such changes and such transitions and shifts that we never thought that we would have to. Um, And so, you know, I think with that comes uh, a a lot of uncertainty, a lot of um, disruption and, you know, just confusion about what is best and how it, how it's best when it comes to to teaching and learning right now. So, um, you know, I, I thought it would be important to focus on the topic of self advocacy um, and and how that self how the development of self advocacy skills is not only important but how um, you know how it's impacted by virtual learning. Um, you know, I, I, I love that that tweet that Sarah had put up um, because I think it's it's so um, it's so current and, and really speaks to what's going on right now and how everybody is feeling. And I think of, uh, you know, what what we see over and over and over again with um, the clients that we work with and 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 the students that we're, we're interacting with is that, um, you know, home is not school and school is not home. 
And those two places were never intended to be the same place. Um, but right now, for many students, it is in some capacity. You know, school and home is the same place. And if you really kind of unpack that and, and deconstruct it and think about it, you know, what what is school? School is a structured environment where you are, know where you need to be at all times, how to focus, where you're sitting, who you're with, how you're interacting. Um, and your day is pretty structured from the beginning to the end. And you're shifting and you're moving and you're learning and you're questioning. And, and the day goes by very dynamically. Um, and home is a time to take it all down, right? We relax at home. We're unstructured at home a lot of times, relatively speaking to school. It's time to it's it's time to 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 just breathe. Let you know, spend time with your family, relax, spend time with yourself, um, decompress. But now we're 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 asking our students to do this those two things in the same environment. And what we've noticed with a lot of our, our students is that it's just, it's very confusing. Um, and you kind of see it, right? With the, the question that we were just talking about and is, you know, with, with, the, um, with the, the student that was getting up and getting snacks while the teacher is teaching. Well, you know, she's trying to do school in the home environment and that's not an, you know, she's trying to do school and, and that behavior is not out of the ordinary for a home behavior. So, you know, the, the lines are blurred. Um, but the reality of the situation is that at, at some point we're going back to school. The, the kids are going to transit, transition back to in-person and they really need to be ready for that. Um, and, and so, you know, as much as we can emulate um, what's going on in the school, the school environment, we, we want to try to emulate that as home at, at home as much as possible. Um, and and self-advocacy is one of those areas where we really see students be able to develop self-advocacy skills in school. Um, but now that they're out of school, how can we kind of emulate that while they're at home and continue the process of, of learning how to, to, to self-advocate? Um, and so, you know, before I go on with that, I just want to give a brief definition for the audience out there of what self-advocacy is. Self-advocacy, I have to tell you, I've been in the field again for a long time, working with students as early as elementary school through college and adulthood. And self-advocacy is one of those critical areas for individuals to be successful when they become independent young adults. It's very difficult to be your optimal person if you can't self-advocate. So self-advocacy is one's ability to be able to speak on behalf of themselves. And so it's your ability to recognize who you are as a learner, understand your strengths and relative weaknesses, understand and recognize when you're struggling or something is posing as a barrier to yourself and then activate your in yourself into some sort of a help seeking mode. So where do I go? I, I, I've run into a problem and I need to get help for it. And so you recognize that you need help. You, you know, you, you know where to go to get that help and then you follow, communicate that you need the help and follow through with it. So that's kind of like this self-advocacy cycle that's really important. And if you think about it as an adult, there's so many things that we do in our lives where we rely on other people to help us be our best selves, whether it be on a project at work or whether it be at the gym when you're trying to, you know, 
change up your 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 routine, whether it be when you you need want to vent to a friend of yours with a, a, a personal issue that you're struggling with, being able to say, I'm struggling with this, what would you do? Can you help me? Is a critical, critical um, skill to have to be a productive um, and happy adult. Now you know, developing self-advocacy skills really comes into conflict when we're doing a lot of work at home. Um, as parents, we want to kind of hold on to our kids. We want to protect our kids. And we want to do for them to make them happy and make them comfortable. And so, you know, self-advocacy is really all about becoming more independent. Yet when they're at home, a lot of times we naturally gravitate towards doing things for our kids, but also at the same time, um, they're, they're relying on us to just do for them. And so we wanna just make sure that as we go through the virtual school experience, that we're using that as a really good opportunity to, to continue to develop self-advocacy skills. So we know virtual school is not the same as in-person traditional school. It's less structured, there, it's much more linear, um, it's less dynamic, it, it, there's an increased need to self-monitor and to pace yourself at, at the work. And there's less immediate feedback from the teachers. And so when you're sitting in a classroom and you're working, you're told where you need to be at all times, typically. And if you need help, you can raise your hand, you can, you can interact with the teachers or your classmates, and you can, you can naturally and organically work on those self-advocacy skills that are help and, and practice those self-advocacy skills that are really helpful as you get older. Now with a, a virtual format, there's less of that immediate interaction. And so students might be less hesitant, might not know where they need to go for help and might be much more hesitant to figure it out because it's harder to recognize what are the structures, the support structures put in place for me? Usually it's a teacher in a classroom and now I'm sitting in front of a computer with a Google, you know, with a Google document open. So what do I do? And their first immediate reaction may be go to go to their parents. And the second reaction might be for the parents to do for them. So what you want to really do in, in these scenarios is think about how can you continue, how can your students and your children continue to rely on their teachers and on their the the faculty at the school to ask them questions and get their support and their help on the work that they that they're doing in, in class so that they're learning different systems and routines of how to rely on the environment in an appropriate way so that they receive the supports that they need to get things done again it's very easy you know they're very used to their parents helping them and so if we can get them out of the mode of, of the parents doing it and more in the mode of accessing their teachers and the resources, then it, it could be very advantageous. The, the reality of the situation is they may need a little bit of support in order to develop those new systems and routines. So now the teacher's not there and guiding them through kind of the problem solving scenarios, how can they gain access to their teachers? And how can you coach them through learning how to gain access from their teachers. So many teachers now and schools are replacing all of that in-person support to develop these skills with things like open study halls, um, uh, 
before school and after school virtual meetups, um, email, text communication, um, setting up meetings with the teacher um, to do a virtual meetup. But all of those have several steps that the students aren't necessarily used to doing previously um, or have the skill set um, to, to be able to do. So in, again, instead of doing for them, how is, can you as parents guide them through questioning process of how to access help from their teachers? I, so, you know, it, it could go something like this. I see that you're struggling with your math homework. So what would you do if you were in school? I would ask my teacher for help. Okay, so are you in front of your teacher right now? No. Are there other ways that you can access your teacher? I don't know. Okay, well, where can we find out that information? And so you're guiding them through the thought process of problem solving. So I know I have a problem here. My parent has helped me to recognize that I, I've run into a problem. And now we're going to guide ourselves through the problem solving um, mode so that we can figure out how we can gain access to teachers. That's very different than I see you're having a problem with math. Let me email your teacher and see if they can meet with you tomorrow morning before virtual school starts. That's, you know, that that's not setting the students up for continuing to develop that, those self-advocacy skills. What it ends up doing is helping them learn to rely on other people to do things for them. So it, I think it's just, you know, the overall message is we can still work on self-advocacy even from the home environment, even with a virtual format, but it's just going to look different than it does in the in-person format. And we, may, we might need to, to coach a little bit through those extra steps of since the teacher isn't accessible right there in the moment where you can ask them for help, what are the alternate options for asking for help? And how do you follow through with those? And then how do you make sure that you're you're following through with them once they're scheduled? And so, you know, that pulls into that that whole executive functioning piece, which we could talk about for a whole nother hour. Um, but, you know, being able to, you know, just understand who you are as a learner, recognize when things are, are posing as barriers to you and then activating into a help seeking mode. Where do I go for help? How do I communicate? Um, that I need help and how do I follow through with accessing that help are all critical skills that you can continue to help encourage your students to go through um, as a cycle while they're doing online learning at home. So Steve, I know that you gave me the three minute warning. I don't know if that was Two or two and a half minutes. We have a creative time here. Um, I, as with everybody who uh, did a little presentation tonight, some really excellent information. Is is there is there just one thing you want to kind of tell people? Because there's it. You know, I think parents sometimes it's hard. I mean, having being a parent, having been a parent, being a parent, um, sometimes you get your judgment gets a little clouded because you feel so strongly about your children. Right. And you may or may not always be, I'm not saying you're not, you're nothing rationally, but you know, you, you're, you get angry because you want your kids to get a fair shake and things like this. But is, is there one thing, you know, you like, like, like uh, Katie had her stop thing. Is there something that, you know, a parent could really keep in mind to just kind of keep things on track and, and, and because we want, as kids grow up, we want them to self advocate. Right. Right. You know, as a parent, you shouldn't be walking to a high school and supporting a senior, although you may need to occasionally. But 
So, you know, th- there's a handoff, you know, when they're younger to older. But is there is there any just one particular thing you could leave parents with? And I want to talk about New Frontiers for a minute or two. And then we'll move yeah. on. Sure, yeah. I, I think, you know, when it comes to self-advocacy, the fa- self-advocacy, the foundation to it is having the ability to understand who you are as a learner. I think that's just pillar. And so, I, I, you know, through my experiences working with families, so many times um, parents are afraid to talk to their children about their, the, 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 their obstacles and their issues. And I can't tell you how many 20-something-year-olds I've sat with who have never gone through their neuropsychological report before. So they don't, they don't understand the processing disorder. They don't understand what a language-based learning disorder is. Nobody's ever had those conversations with them. Many times parents don't want to have those conversations with them because it, they feel like it's going to, um, it, it's, it's a negative thing, a conversation to have with their children and they want to protect them from those conversations. But trust me, when, when kids have learning differences, they know it, but they don't know why. And so without having that open dialogue about, about it, it, what it's causing is they see everybody else around them and it looks like everybody else is doing well and they can't understand why they are not doing well. And so I, huh. all of these 20 somethings, when they finally get to go through their neuropsychological report for the first time, it's a relief to them because they, they say the same thing over and over again. I always knew I was different, but I never knew why. So if it, if, you know, the best advice I can give to parents is, if your if your children have learning differences, it's okay to talk about those things. They know that those things are there. They live and breathe it and feel it every day. And the more they can understand it and be educated about it, the stronger self advocates they will be able to be as they get older. Interesting. Like so simple yet so difficult to actually do. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. It's a tough conversation for sure. Um, you know, I, I would say you can, you know, rely on on um, um, professionals in the field that have a very good understanding mm-hmm. of diagnosis. Um, you know, they know how to describe those things to um, families. And so use them as your kind of foundation to be able to have these tough conversations with your children. Really quickly, tell us, you know, for a minute here, tell us about New Frontiers, you know, who you serve, what you do, what your core competency is. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so New Frontiers is an executive function coaching company. We, we really kind of, we look, we work with clients that um, don't respond optimally in a conventional learning environment. So we can work with students as early as elementary school but through middle school, high school, college, and beyond. And we're really working with individuals who need to develop skills in goal-directed behavior. And so we work with a lot of kids that know what their goals are. I want, I'm, I need to pass this class. I need to you know, pass these classes in, in college. I need to find, get a job. I, need, I wanna learn how to socialize better, but they don't know how to break it down and get from my goal is this to actually accomplishing that goal. They So we coach them through the process of developing things like time management, organization, 
good study habits, um, consistency, and teaching them how to hold themselves accountable or self-monitor getting their work done. Kids come to us as early as middle school because they transition to middle school and have a tough time keeping up with the rigors of going to several different classes with several different teachers with several different systems and routines. And things start to fall through the cracks. So we're able to assess why are things falling through the cracks and what skills can we teach so that they can eventually become independent learners. Excellent which is something they may learn when they're 12, 11, 16, but they're going to use the rest of their lives, which is, which is right. super valuable. And they're universal skills, right? They're right. skills that you use in academics, employment, in your social life, in independence. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree too. Well, we've gotten some really good feedback in the comments. Those of you out there, uh, you know, throw the comments up there. We'll try to address them. Again, let me just thank all the people who have uh, taken some time out of their evening tonight to join us for this event the virtual back to school summit. The goal was to provide parents and students with skills and with information, uh, with timely things you can put into action right away. And I think so far we, we're really doing a good job of that. So I appreciate it. I'm going to bring our next speaker in here. Samantha, thank you again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So say hello to Dan. There's, there's the teenage brain. Hi, how are you doing? Dan, do you have a, uh, a slide? Do you have a presentation, too? Yes, I do. Should I put it up? Yeah, bring it. You can post it up now. Okay. Uh, we'll I, just as a, uh, I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Every, everyone who has presented, I'm sure, uh, could speak uh, you know, much, much longer about what they have. And Dan is no exception. Dan is taking a 60-minute presentation. And uh, for the benefit of the group tonight, basically breaking it down to... Uh, about 10 minutes. So he's going to be doing this full presentation October 8th, which I'm flashing in the uh, screen below. Thank uh, you. We'll, yeah, there's a link. You can go to register, which I'm going to put in a follow-up email. So uh, appreciate it, Dan, the teenage brain. Okay, thank you very Tell much. Tell us all about it. Thank you. Okay. Great. Well, thanks a lot. And um, pull up my presentation. Oh, thank you very much. That's great. So basically what I'm going to do is just talk quickly about the, um, the different aspects uh, that we need to know about as parents of teenagers. Um, you see that I have the link down here at the bottom. If you're interested, you can just copy this link. Uh, it's a bit.ly link, Teen Brain 20, and you'll be able to go to look at the full presentation. So. Um, First thing I want to say is uh, the teenage brain is not just an adult brain with fewer miles on it. Uh, that's really critical. Uh, a lot of people think of teenagers, especially because they are, some of them are adult sized. They think of them as just, you know, sort of adults, but they're not quite um, able or ready to be adults yet. But there's actually a lot of stuff that's going on in the brain in terms of development during the teenage years. So first thing I'm going to mention is that um, the brain starts to develop prior to birth and lasts into the mid-20s. It happens gradually. And also just prior to puberty, brain growth um, has a spurt and creates many new connections. Now, some of these connections are useful. Others are not. Useful connections are myelinated, uh, which we'll talk about more in the full presentation, but basically that means they will um, 
if they're useful, they'll be able to communicate more quickly with other parts of the brain. Uh, if not, they will wither slowly. Um, but in the meantime, they can create some inefficiencies. Um, so that's happening while you're a teenager. So you can think about the teenage brain as being immature in a number of ways. And this immaturity can cause teens to, to feel and behave very differently from adults. So I'm going to pull up the little picture of the brain. Okay. So we're going to focus on uh, a few different areas of the brain. The prefrontal cortex, this area here, which is in the um, very front of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, and the amygdala. Those are three areas that we're going to focus on that are important. The uh, prefrontal cortex is the home of executive function, which I know we've talked about a lot tonight already. That is kind of like the uh, pilot of the, sh of the airplane. That was where decisions are made. Uh, the amygdala is the seat of raw emotion, and the nucleus accumbens is the reward-seeking aspect of the brain. So let's take a look at the prefrontal cortex first. Okay. So we talk about it as the, the CEO, or like I mentioned, the pilot of the airplane. It coordinates thoughts and behaviors. But importantly, this is the slowest region of the brain to develop. Usually it develops by age 20, but in some cases it's not even completely developed by then. So you can imagine what's happening as a teenager. If that part of your brain isn't fully developed, you can tend to make some poor decisions. In adults, the prefrontal cortex essentially delegates to other regions of the brain. But in teens, it's not as well connected to the rest of the brain. Uh, often is overly taxed and not up to the task. And again, as I mentioned, it can be prone to errors and bad decisions. The amygdala is the seat of raw motion. In adults, the frontal lobe, which is where the prefrontal cortex is located, uh, gathers information from the amygdala and other parts of the brain in order to make decisions. However, in adolescence, the amygdala is accessed directly instead of by the prefrontal cortex when making decisions. Therefore, many decisions are based upon gut feelings. So that's a really big difference uh, between adults and teenagers. The prefrontal cortex, as I mentioned earlier, is, is your um, executive, your CEO, that's pulling information from different parts of the brain together to make a decision. As a teenager, if that prefrontal cortex is not completely developed or it's not as well connected to the rest of the brain, then you end up making a lot more decisions based on the amygdala, which is emotions, and um, the next part, which we'll talk about, is the nucleus accumbens. Um, but this is really helpful. If you look at this, you can see what's happening in the brain here. And um, a lot of decisions that are based on um, emotion, uh, you know, can be problematic at times. Nucleus accumbens is the area that is the reward-seeking part of the brain and also the pleasure-seeking area. So um, the pleasure-seeking systems get a kickstart in puberty and can go into overdrive. So you can imagine that's going to be, you know, a little bit problematic, uh, although it's great in some ways. Um, now, the 
the combination of the underdeveloped frontal lobe, weaker connections between the prefrontal cortex and the rest of the brain, and the early development of the reward centers of the brain makes teens more likely to engage in risky behaviors. They are more prone to risk-taking and thrill-seeking behavior. They have an increase in impulsivity. And one theory is that from an evolutionary standpoint, teens need to be willing to take some risks in order to leave the nest. So that's a really important thing to consider. Uh, that could be a positive aspect of the whole thing. Teens are more sensitive to dopamine. Um, that's not completely understood yet, but that's part of what's happening here. And um, research even suggests that the baseline level of dopamine is lower, but its release in response to experience is higher, which may explain why teens may report a feeling of being bored unless they're engaging in some really stimulating activities or novel new activities. A uh, couple other things about uh, development. Um, individuation. The task of adolescence is to become your individual unique person. Um, so they need non-familial role models for this. And tutors can help with this. And some of the other professionals that we've talked with tonight can help with those kind of things because they're outside the family and kids may be in some ways more likely to listen to them. Uh, kids need to feel like they're part of the in crowd. Peers are central to their lives. And abstract thinking is, is newly developing at this time. I'm going through this very quickly because I don't have a lot of time, but I will talk about it in more detail uh, in my full presentation. Um, some studies have found that adolescents who experience high levels of stress, stress and consequently high levels of the stress hormone cortisol are more susceptible to problems in, the, in adulthood, such as depression and anxiety, this may be the same mechanism causing PTSD. So if you have high levels of, levels of stress as adolescent, you may have longer term effects of that. Uh, just quickly about addiction. Um, just want to mention this bottom uh, point here. Addiction is actually a form of learning in the reward seeking part of the brain in the same way that learning stimulates and enhances a synapse substances do the same thing. They build a reward circuit around that substance to a much stronger, harder, longer addiction. So students, teenagers who get uh, addicted at this age, it can be really um, a problem in their long-term outcomes because it's a learned behavior. Um, just a couple other things I'm gonna mention before I finish up here. Due to brain plasticity and the rapid growth of new brain connections, Teens are more easily able to learn languages and musical instruments due to expansion of neural networks. These are some of the positive things that we know based on the way the brain develops. Um, emotion can help students remember. And this point here I think is really important. Teens make wiser choices if they are encouraged to reimagine healthy behavior as an act of defiance. So there's a way of thinking about it where um, you can think about it as something that's defiant, maybe because other kids are doing things that aren't as healthy and you're sort of defying or you know, doing something different. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention on here before we finish up is um, communicating with your teenager. 
Teens want to be respected. They want to be heard and validated. They're also hungry for a real connection. It's much more difficult to do that with parents than with friends at this stage. And the last point, it often works better if you ask teens to think of their own consequences rather than providing them yourself. So Steve, um, I think my time is running out. You got a, you got a minute or two, but I, I got to take, cause I was always kind of a science geek and, and, uh, I mean that in a positive way, but I, uh, I find this just so interesting and, and I, I'm sure you probably could go, as you already know, you could talk six times longer about it. If not more, <laughs> but, and you probably could have an equivalent one for a six year old and a 50 year old. That's um, true. Yeah. To, to just kind of bring it kind of into a very focused window. How can we, um, harness this in a positive way because th those people who have teenage kids who I think is comparatively high population in this watching this um, is there is there something a parent can do to take advantage I don't mean take advantage in an abusive way but like to, to use this in a positive way to, to help the kids to help themselves because I mean, well, teenagers are famously defiant, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and you explain some of the reason why that happens, but how can we take this and use it to, as a motivational sort of tool? Well, I think one thing that's really helpful, and I've definitely did this with my own kids, is to explain some of this to them. If they understand some of these things that are happening in their brains, I think that really allows them um, to be more forgiving to themselves. And not to feel like, um, you know, they're a screw up. You know, this is kind of everybody's going through this. This is part of what's happening. You have, um, you know, a big part of being a teenager and also when you get into the college years is kind of learning about yourself and who you are. Um, so that's one thing that's really important is to understand what you're going through. And then think about some of the positive aspects. You know, you uh, as a teenager, you're, you're willing to take risks. You're thinking about um, doing things in a different way in, you know, novel situations. So some of those novel situations can be very help healthy. You're, you're not um, afraid to try to do different things or to look yeah. at things differently. Um, but then again, the other side of the coin is the social piece, which makes you feel like a little bit more afraid to, to do things differently. Uh, but you know, you can use that information to, to think about, okay, well, I'm going to try something different um, because that novel situation can be really rewarding for me. It can make me feel good. One, one last question for you. The brain's not a muscle. It's, it's nerve tissue. But do the things that people, human beings do repeatedly reinforce and make it stronger, like in the same way, like you're almost you reinforce the positive behaviors neurally, if that is anatomically correct or neurophysically correct, whatever. So you, you can encourage these, what we're going to call positive behaviors. They get stronger and stronger and, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a certain way. Is that, is that kind of a tactic in, in a sense we could use? Yeah, because learning, um, just like, you know, if you think about it in terms of like a sports um, analogy, you know, as you practice a, either a certain behavior or a certain thought pattern, it mm -hmm. strengthens those connections um, in, you know, between the, the nerve cells of the brain. 
Um, so if you can strengthen those connections, then it's much easier to sort of bring them back up later when you need them. Yep. God, listen, I'm going to uh, bring Lauren in here. Mike, this, or, uh, Dan, I think this is so interesting. I hope everybody else did as well. Make sure, um, I know you sent it to me, but I'm going to make sure I get out the information for your talk. October 7th, right? 8th? Uh, October 8th at 7 p.m. And um, yeah, people <laughs> <laughs> click on the link that I provided to you to register, then uh, they'll get more information about you know, how it's going to be presented. It'll be virtual like this. Okay. And um, then people will be able to ask questions too, which would be great. Beautiful. Wait, where'd Lauren go? She disappeared. <laughs> we lost her. Hopefully she'll come back in a second. That's our, our fifth, sixth and final speaker on deck. Where did she go? Well, hopefully she, she got disconnected. She'll come right back. Um, all right. Here she comes. <laughs> this there you TV. are. All right. <laughs> Dan, thanks again. Uh, Thank you. It's great appreciate working it. with you on this. I appreciate your insight, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, just really quickly, everybody, don't don't uh, rush out. We, we got about uh, one really excellent speaker. I think you're really going to enjoy what uh, Dr. Lauren Barrow is going to say here. Uh, after, we're going to do a panel discussion with all the speakers and sponsors, get everybody in one place if you want to throw some questions out, and we'll roll from there. Lauren brings a really interesting and unique perspective to this discussion. I'm going to let you tell, let her tell you about it. Appreciate you coming on. So you ready to rumble? I am. All right. You're on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I do have prepared comments. Uh, it's late. I wanted to make sure that I connected with each of you and I'm asking in advance that if it looks like I'm wandering, I, I've my webcam doesn't work. So good evening. Um, I want to thank uh, Dr. Green for inviting me to tonight's panel um, and also for being a member of the team that helped my own children successfully navigate their academic journey. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Lauren Barrow. I joined this panel as a representative of three very relevant constituents. I'm a parent, a professor, and an administrator. And I hope to offer parents, particularly those of high school st students, some useful perspective for navigating the current climate of higher education. And I hope that my perspective from each of my various roles proves helpful to each of you. First, a little background on my personal COVID situation. My eldest son graduated college in May of 2020 his picture was broadcast on a pre-prepared PowerPoint that we watched from our living room, only immediate family and celebration delayed. My eldest daughter was transferring to a state college for her junior year, eager to focus on a degree path she had finally selected. She now has deferred her enrollment until she can return to face-to-face -face learning. My youngest son is entering his senior year of high school unsure of his future because SAT requirements evaporated along with campus in-person visits and all travel. And my youngest daughter has settled into a digital classroom, Zoom breakout meetings, and FaceTime collaborative exercises. It is a brave new world for sure. To set the tone for what I can offer, I invite you to consider the question. As a criminologist, I am often asked why someone commits a bad act. I ask instead, why do some people not commit bad acts? 
It may seem small, but slightly changing the question being asked can yield significant differences and valuable insights. So many times over the past six months, I have listened to parents of all grade levels lament that their children are not learning, that they are not mastering new material. They are stuck in March of 2020. To you, I ask that you consider instead of what your children are not learning, what are they learning? To be sure, now more than ever, selecting the right college for your student is critical. Whether that is a small private college or a large public institution, whether it is nestled in the peaceful hills of the suburbs or centrally located in bustling downtown, Ensuring that the professors will see your child and help them reach their fullest potential through a combination of classroom instruction and mentoring should rank higher than how many eateries are on campus. Some of the more meaningful questions a parent can ask when making this final decision include, what is the student to teacher ratio per class? Per class not as an aggregate. How many seminar classes are in one degree plan? And how many students are enrolled in any one section at a time? Today's academic climate renders it common for a professor to teach from a central location and have those lessons broadcast out to multiple classrooms staffed by grad and or teaching assistants. What is the ratio of full-time to adjunct professors? Does the school use graduate assistants to teach their classes? Are full-time faculty available outside of class time to answer the students' questions? Does the college support and embrace alternative learning models, sorry, learning models, field trips, internships, co-ops? What is the rate of full-time professors possessing terminal degrees? Answers to these questions, though hard to come by in the larger institutions, can provide you with invaluable information about the nature of your student's future. I wish for a moment to digress and share with you an exchange I had last year in Coles. I was browsing a dress rack and a woman across from me, unknown to me, spontaneously shared that she had made the final installment on her daughter's, quote, social experiment. I must have looked confused, so she clarified, I just made the last payment on my daughter's college education. I am buying a dress to celebrate. The outcome of that chance encounter was that I began to re-envision what it means to teach, and specifically to teach this age group. And just to be clear, Let's take a moment to describe this population. These students were born during 9-11 and its immediate aftermath. They were in elementary school during the 2008 recession, which had direct and immediate impact on school budgets. They were in middle school through Sandy Hook, high school through Parkland, and countless other senseless acts of violence that ravaged our shared spaces. And still they stood up they showed up and they raised their voices against the status quo. And now on the eve of making another key decision in their young lives, 
one that presumably they have been marching towards in all of their academic pursuits. They are staring down a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic, demanding racial justice, and preparing to enter an increasingly digitalized world where artificial intelligence threatens to permanently change the workplace and the jobs that humans are currently doing. These students are already superstars. So how can we support our children through these uncertain times? What I'm about to say may surprise you, and in no way do I mean to imply that this is going to be easy, but it is most certainly necessary. The best way is engagement. Ask them, hear them. Students are expressing that it is, quote, hard to get excited about anything because everything changes so quickly. Without traditional benchmarks like SATs, students and their parents feel that they have not really earned college. But what exactly is the point of an SAT or any other benchmark exam? Historically, those exams were used to indicate a student's likelihood for success in college level work. But for many years, they have failed as effective indicators of college success. So now that we know the system is flawed, do we really need benchmark exams to tell us how our children measure up? Shouldn't getting into college at all be the benchmark, especially since the costs of higher education dictate that both parents and students be more creative in securing a bachelor's degree? I often tell my students that it is not important how you cross the finish line, only that you cross it. And that assumes that they have chosen a bachelor's degree as their finish line. Some students will opt out of the college path and that is okay. In another conversation, students expressed an inability to feel motivated because there is no end to the current situation. This is different in context from the comments above because the previous student suggested a reluctance to feel happy or excited, whereas this student expressed a reluctance to feel hopeful. Neither of these scenarios is desirable and neither of them reflect what we want for our children, but they both reflect a reality of the times. And still another student when asked said that they quote, were not sure of the point of everything. This, Excuse me. The sudden termination of sports and academic extracurriculars cast students who were cultured to win into an environment lacking in healthy competition. So where does this leave us as parents, as educators, and as administrators? Well, the good news is that our true role really has not changed. Our job is to support, to listen, and to assist and maybe to learn from our students rather than to burden us all with an impossible task by forcing what we expected into what actually is. The future requires a new vocabulary, adapt, pivot, innovate, create. And the future still requires students to have resilience, to be flexible and to be brave. As a mother, I struggle to let go, finding it difficult to separate the independent, capable, and confident young adult from the young imps who used to play among my skirts. 
But as a professor, I have long said that the young people of today have a strong hold and a deep understanding of what is needed for our shared future. They do not see borders the way that we do. The differences are blurred through the lens of anonymity offered by bitmojis and video games. They see simply friends. We fully expect to be making adjustments, adjustments and allowances as higher education evolves. And while no one can predict what will happen, it is safe to say that testing changes and GPA shifts will not result in the exclusion of this generation from continued growth and development. They will not only be permitted, but will be welcomed to conduct their own social experiment. The reality is that we have so much to learn from them. And that if we as the old guard continue to impose unrealistic expectations based upon simply our hopes, our dreams and our plans, while denying the students the support and confidence that they are adapting to their future in their way, then the outcome is predetermined and it will have no relationship to a student's academic ability. As an administrator, please know that we are aware that the entire cohort of new college students are and will continue to be affected by the events of 2020. Perhaps it will be of comfort to know that as administrators, we realize that while this landscape may be very different, our job remains the same, to facilitate the growth of a dependent passive learner into an independent active contributor of society. I thank you for the gift of your time and attention this evening, and I certainly hope that I have provided information that you find helpful. That was an excellent presentation, Lauren. Really, really strong. So you covered, just like everybody tonight, you, you covered so much ground. Um, I, I, you know, one of the reasons I was excited that you agreed to speak um, was because I, I think your perspective is, is really unique. Most of the rest of us <clears throat> were speakers are more kind of practitioners, the more, not that you're not working with kids all the time, but you know, your, your perspective as an administrator and as a parent, I think is really, really interesting. You brought up so many really cogent points. Um, not really sure to start with them exactly, but let me just ask you one thing quickly and I'm going to start our panel discussion for the sake of time. Um, when flash forward, I don't know, let's say six months, a year, when things are normal again, what do you think is the one thing that won't really go back? Because I've often thought about this. People have asked me a hundred times, is, is, is virtual education here to stay? Um, you know, is this always going to be, you know, in there, even if it wasn't before, the, the acceptance of distance learning or virtual learning, call it whatever you will. But is what do you think is going to be the biggest long-term uh change, improvement, hopefully, adaptation, in your opinion? I, I do think that the number one change is going to be um, probably that, that some level of virtual education at the college level will remain. I think it has to remain. Uh, I think that students now, we're finding more and more, because of what I said in terms of the cost of education, are working and they're going to need the flexibility in order to fund their education. And also, you know, we've put a large emphasis on experiential learning, internships, co-ops, encouraging more paid 
internships so that students mm -hmm. can get into the workplace before they're actually in the workplace. And I, you know, an online education or some level of that offers flexibility. I think for those institutions that are smaller, um, like mine, I, I teach at Chestnut Hill College and we pride ourselves on the um, relationships that we have with our students. Our classes are very small. Um, and I think for those institutions where relationship is primary in the academic framework, they'll move more towards a hybrid. But I mm -hmm. think that the students have demonstrated that they will do the work even if they're not in the classroom. And I also do think that this is an important component of independence and, and building a well-rounded uh, individual. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring uh, some of our speakers or whoever is still in the uh, green room here. Let me bring everybody in. Do I have everybody? There's Sarah. Samantha should come back. Oh, so here. So for the benefit of, uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for taking the time, preparing, uh, keeping your comments on time. I apologize if I had to cut anybody off. I, I, as I said multiple times, I know we all could have gone on much, much longer, but it, this was about, in my opinion, delivering actionable ideas to people, um, parents, people in the trenches, people kind of live in this day-to-day, minute-to-minute. Um, so if anybody has questions, I'm going to just kind of flash them up here and let anybody on the panel, uh, let me bring Samantha in. So if anybody just wants to... Um, uh, the question is, if virtual, if virtual learning remains, even just for some classes, then financial aid needs to relax the requirement for majority of classes to be held in person. Hmm. So I'm not sure if anybody wants to take a stab at that. I'm not in the financial aid world, but as a parent paying for a college student right now, you know, you feel like you're getting shortchanged a little bit when you're paying for, you know, the expertise of a, of a professors and you're getting a little bit less of a delivery perhaps, but... Um, I don't know if anybody else wants to take a shot at that, or if there's, let me see if there's any other questions. I, I think that one might be directed at, at college level. Um, Does it seem like it? Yeah. Um, and I would say to you that if the, um, the larger institutions favor online education and relinquish some of the physical structures. I mean, most of the funding and most of the tuition goes towards physical structure maintenance. And I think that's the issue right now. And hmm. in COVID is we still have those buildings and we still have those expenses. Um, and in online education, obviously we wouldn't need as many of them. And I think that that becomes a conversation as we move forward into what are we doing in terms of blending? Is this maybe a way that we can lower the cost of education if we're going to be offering more blended opportunities and then won't need the physical structures as often? Right. Well, it isn't really the focus of this particular panel or this night, but no, it's no secret college it is a very expensive proposition. People do question the value of it, but uh, l let me do this here. L let me just give everybody here a chance to kind of just have the last word. Um, I'm, I'm going to just for simplicity go in the same order as we spoke tonight. So, um, Katie, just uh, closing thought, a couple sentences you just want to leave everybody with. Closing thought is expect stress 
expect that things aren't going to be the way that they were before and have a plan in place to cope ahead and know how to manage those difficulties so that when it happens, it's not blindsiding you um, and get support when you need it because we can't do it all on our own. Beautiful. Ron? Um, thank you very much, Steve. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed the uh, discussions tonight. I think everybody did a really, really nice job. Uh, I look forward to meeting some of you in person next year and hopefully by phone in the next couple of weeks or so. Educationalgames.fun is the uh, website that explains uh, what I'm uh, working on uh, with parents. So thanks very much, everyone. I will just leave you with two more, and that is spell silk fast five times. And then the question is, what do cows do? And everyone will want to say no, but it's not. Take care, and we'll be trying to time to use it. Ken, what do you got to say? Uh, honestly, I just really enjoyed listening to all the speakers. It was a lot of great information. Uh, it certainly gives you a lot to think about as a parent. Um, but uh, I appreciate you putting this on, Steve. I, I appreciate you letting me a part, be a part of it. And uh, certainly, um, you know, from Apex perspective, you know, getting kids at a young age at the elementary school level, teaching them life skills, um, and supporting them at that age, I think is really critical. And um, we love that, that opportunity and, and we hope to get more opportunity with the schools in the Philadelphia and surrounding area. Sarah? Um, I think that just focus on process, not product. Um, and so when we're thinking about even just this question that just popped up, mm -hmm. um, you have time on a screen, um, take care of your kids. Think about this as a long game, the marathon, not a sprint. Like there's a lot going on right now. And we want to think about this in a larger context um, and focus on process, not product. Things that they can carry, they can learn now that they can carry with them throughout rather than did you get to this reading level or did you get this homework done or did you sit in front of the screen for X amount of time? Like really think about your absolute long-term goals for your for your children and how you can support that here and now um, and make sure they get that out of um, this experience. Beautiful. Uh, Samantha? Um, I would you know, say, uh, you know, just to reiterate kind of what I focused on um, before is just, you know, encouraging students to know their strengths and challenges as learners and um, how to be comfortable to at, at, in advocating for themselves, I think is really important, but just, it, you know, with, with the big picture of what's going on in education right now, just, you know, understanding this is the transition and transitions are always very disruptive. And, you know, to, to look at, you know, the silver lining, we will assimilate, we will figure it out and we will get to a better place, but it's always very uncomfortable when you're first transitioning into something that's new and different. So, this too mm -hmm. shall pass. Dan? Uh, well, I'd like to say, you know, in agreement with the rest of the folks here, I mean, I think it was a great um, evening, and I think Stevie did a really great job with putting this together. It um, went remarkably well. Uh, my point of view on it is this is an opportunity for self-discovery, and I think as parents, we can try to um, help our kids understand and learn um, about themselves, learn about how, how to deal with challenges and find the ways that work best you know, for each of our kids 
in um, dealing with some of these things, and in the future that will, you know, put them in, in good standing when they deal with other issues that come up. Dan, just real quickly before I make a closing comment, you, you as the brain expert here, I'm going to go out on a limb and bestow that title upon you. Uh, do you want to address this question that was post- popped up here? Is there a deleterious effect of a, of a young child, first graders, seven, eight years old, 10-year-old, nine-year-old, you know, spending six, seven hours in front of or five or whatever, you know, in front of uh, electronics? I mean, obviously, yeah. learning is important, but is there a back-end yeah. issue, eye problem? I mean, problem? I, I don't know. know that there's any studies out there that show whether that's, you know, deleterious, like you said, but, you know, from the standpoint of a parent, you know, you definitely want to make sure that the kids have an opportunity to do other things, like get some exercise mm-hmm. and do more sort of in-person kinds of uh, activities. It doesn't seem like a great idea. And frankly, I think that you don't really need to spend as much time, you know, in front of the computer. Like that's not necessarily going to be good. More is not necessarily better in this situation. Interesting. I'm going to leave it with this. Let me just thank everybody one last time, uh, all the panel, the speakers, the sponsors, also the people that hung with us for the last few hours. Uh, The message I would leave, because this is what I'm really talking about with the people I interact with, is I think being proactive with a dose of reality and realism is just really important right now. Planning ahead, because there's going to be things that you're not expecting, and everybody could complain and, and whine about it, but I think... If you know you're going to have to cope with things, plan ahead, kind of have options, you know, kind of be flexible with that, I think is is, is wise, sagacious, there's a good word for you, advice. So um, I think that's the message I'm trying to leave people with is, you know, it's not always going to be perfect, especially over the next couple months, maybe longer. Uh, so let's accept that. And I, I can't help but think if we had one more person in between Samantha and Sarah, we just like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> who, who can we get? We got to get somebody to come online. Who, who, yeah, who can we put in there? Ah, there's nobody left to put in there. Oh, well. All right. I'm going to call this to an end. Thanks again, everybody. Listen, if you're watching. Hey, Steve, I thought Sarah wanted to make a comment. I, I just. No. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't want to keep anyone. I just wanted to mention that I did. Um, uh, do some research a long time ago, and I'm sure that it's progressive then. But um, I was specifically looking at uh, research on headbanging behavior in adults with intellectual disabilities. And one of the things that had to do with opiates um, and why they um, there were opiates released when they banged their head. And some of the research that I found had equated that with um, television, because televisions all, often would, would um, when you turn the television off, that's one of the triggers that's very common. Um, and it has to do with, if you ever watch, um, like you look outside the, or when you're watching the TV, look at the back uh, behind you, the flashing lights, it looks like a strobe light almost, where you can see it, you know the TV's on when you drive by a house because you can see the flashing lights. There's something about the receptors in the brain and the, that amount of stimulation that nothing else can compete with that um, in terms of focus and attention and like, um, feedback. And so the idea, I'm not sure what, I don't know that we have any research about it now in terms of like a first grader or second grader, because we just haven't, it hasn't been around long enough for kids to be on a screen two to five, seven hours a day. Um, But I do think um, that that is an important thing to keep in mind. And maybe like 
just a tidbit of where to start in terms of looking at the research of, of what to look out for for your kid. I know that my child, after four and a half hours of screen time, uh, school day, and they get breaks in there and there's lunch, but he's equally groggy, grumpy, and completely uh, like overstimulated, <laughs> right? Like lethargic and overstimulated. Um, and just wants to be on more screens. And I, I remembered that research that I had read and I thought that's really sort of timely. Like nothing can compete with it. So you just want um, to keep doing it. Nothing else that's stimulating to sort of the underlying pieces of your brain rather than like sort of from a neurological like um, neurons firing sort of perspective rather than huh. fulfilling, right? Um, so. Well, there you go. Well, I think common sense would dictate taking breaks makes sense, not necessarily going up to get a snack. I forget that exact uh, what fostered that. But all right, I am going to put this to bed um, again. Last time. Thanks, everyone. Uh, there will be a replay out there in the uh, same place you could watch it if you missed it or you only saw some of it. And we'll roll from there. So good night. Have a great weekend. Great week. Great school year. And we will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.